Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Good morning. Genesis chapter 42, 1 through 11. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, we come before you this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts as we hear the pastor give the message. May you speak to each and every one of us with comfort, with correction. Lord, may you be glorified this morning. And Lord, help us to to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. What a blessing to be together. Glad you're here today, because if you weren't, Janice and I would be here by ourselves. She's listened to me preach a lot, so. There's a couple things that run through my mind. Uh, I don't see Roger Kaufman in here. Uh, I know he's here. I see Lauren. We're glad you're here, Lauren. But I was reminded that what we do as adults has far more of an impact than we realize. And... uh, Roger, wherever you are in the building, you now have some competition. Uh, The kids know Roger is the candy man. And I had the most wonderful thing happened. I said good morning to Iris this morning. She immediately dropped her little backpack, opened it up, and gave me this. I tried to give it back to her, but she just smiled and walked away. So, Roger, you're setting quite an example. 
and I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but I, I say it very, very sincerely, that what we do is communicating far more to the kids in this church than we realize. There's a second thing that I was thinking about as we were singing and worshiping together. Those of you that know me know that I have a, a slight interest in sports. <clears throat> Two of my teams lost yesterday. That was a bummer. But Micah played really well, and what a great thing for the Westview High School baseball team to do something that no Westview team has ever done before. But now here's the spiritual segue. You know what? As much as I like sports, I'm at a point where I have become a spectator. But worship is not a spectator sport. Shame on us if we just stand or sit and treat worship of the living God as a spectator sport. Okay, I feel better. Looking at this passage of scripture, I thought, oh my goodness, Hollywood would sell its soul, which it's already done, but they would sell their soul for a script like this. There is no Hollywood writer who could ever begin to match the drama, the raw human emotions that we see played out in the chapters that I'm assigned to cover today from chapter 42 into the, the ninth verse of chapter 45. And there's a very real sense in which I feel that even for me to attempt to preach or to teach from this passage of scripture from these chapters is, is somehow a violation of the text. We simply need to let the power of the scripture speak for itself as it spoke to them, and then let that living word of God speak its truth into our lives. So by God's grace in these next few minutes, that is what we will experience together. Now, looking into the text, we need to look back a little bit. We need to remind ourselves, what is Moses trying to do here? Moses is reminding of the children of Israel how they got to Egypt because we know that at this point, these first five books of the Bible are given to the children of Israel after they've come out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. They needed a frame of reference. Here we are, but how did we get here? And if figuring out how we got here, it can help us with where we're going to be going. And Moses' point is that God has orchestrated everything. God's delivered them from bondage. It was him who took them to Egypt and provided for them there, took them from being a family, a clan, and turns them into a mighty nation. It's been God who's been in control. This is important for us because periodically we need to just step back, take a deep breath, and remind ourselves, especially in the hard times, that God who has led us in the past, God who has provided for us in the past, will continue to be faithful to sustain us and to provide for us and lead us in the future. 
I love the way chapter 42 opens. It's, there is this humorous side of me as Jacob sees his boys sitting around with no direction. And he says, why are you sitting there staring at each other? Get up and do something. There's food in Egypt. We're starving here. Now, that's speaking a little evangelistically, stretching it a little bit, but uh, I love what is being communicated here. They come to Egypt. Fascinating things. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And it's interesting, uh, Jonas read for us this passage of scripture and read it from the, the New English version or the English ESV. Let's just leave it there. But ESV leaves out an interesting note that other translations put in in verse 7. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself and spoke harshly to them. ESV leaves out the disguise part. It's interesting in verse 7 and in verse 8 here in chapter 42, it tells us twice that Joseph recognizes his brothers. Moses is making a point. He doesn't want the children of Israel or us to miss what's happening. They don't recognize their own brother. Why? Well, first... He's 17 years older. Actually, he's 22 years older, probably, because he would have been, Joseph would have been 39 or 40 when they got there. He would have been clean-shaven. He would have been dressed like an Egyptian. It says in, in the New American Standard and some other translations that he's disguised himself, but it doesn't tell us how he did that. We know from verse 23, he uses a translator. It's interesting. And we see in verse 9 how his brothers kneel before him, and it's almost like an aha moment. Scripture tells us that Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. It's interesting, we're going to see over the next few chapters that four times Joseph's brothers are going to kneel before him. We see it in chapter 42, verse 6, chapter 43, verse 26, chapter 43, verse 28, chapter 44, verse 14. A fulfillment of those prophetic dreams years before when Joseph is 17. I thought it was interesting in, in preparation for this. I was listening to a teaching that Dr. Albert Moeller did in September of 2015 where he talks about this passage of scripture. He said an interesting thing that I'd never thought about. He said, up to this point, Joseph has not been looking for his brothers. He was not anticipating this moment apart from one thing, the dreams. And it was the dreams that had gotten him into trouble with his brothers to begin with. I tried to imagine what it must have been like seeing this scene for Joseph. Now, go back and let's remember a little bit about the dreams because it is important. Chapter 37, we looked at a number several weeks ago. 
he actually has two dreams, one in which he's out in the field and he is represented as a sheaf of grain. His brothers as sheaves, they all bow down to him. And then he has a second dream and he talks about the sun and the moon, which is representative of his father and his mother. However, we don't have time to go into this. His mother would have died already, so it is his stepmother that is kneeling to him, who is also his aunt. Okay. Was he a redneck? No, we won't go there. Okay, sorry. It's one of those mornings. The amazing thing in all of this at 17, Joseph thinks those dreams are all about him. Now, years later, those dreams come into a different perspective. We have the advantage of looking back on thousands of years of history, and we understand that those dreams weren't just about Joseph. We understand that God's purpose was to provide for the children of Israel. It was to save Egypt, representative of the world, and to feed the world. It's amazing. 17, he's sold as a slave. At age 30, he becomes a ruler in Egypt. And when his brothers come, there have already been seven years of plenty, and there will be five more years of famine. We know that from what he tells them in Genesis 45, 6. Which means Joseph's 39 or 40 years of age. But again, it's important to understand, both for Moses speaking to the children of Israel, but also for God speaking to us today, the story isn't about Joseph. It's really about our God who holds us securely in his hands. It's about our God who is at work to accomplish his eternal purposes for our good and his glory. And, and I find myself so often convicted, even as a Christian, of how often I turn the focus on me, about God answering my prayer in my time of need. And let's face it, most of the time it's in my time of want, not need. That would have been a good time for somebody to say amen because that's kind of where we live. In the midst of those situations, it's difficult. Here's a fill in the blank for you. It's often difficult to recognize and appreciate what God is doing, especially in times of hardship and suffering, but with the passing of time. We often see how God has been at work to accomplish his eternal purposes in and through our lives. One of the advantages that I have being at my age, I'm able to look back on my life and to recognize times and places where God was at work and I didn't recognize it at the moment. I am so trapped in my self-focus at that moment in time that I'm saying, God, what's going on here? Because I think it's all about me because God loves me and he has a wonderful plan for my life. And I've bought into the American dream that it's all about me. Well, it's interesting what happens next. 
Joseph is going to take his brothers through a series of tests. And there's going to be at least three of those tests. And it starts out in verse 42 and chapter 9 where he speaks harshly to them. And he said, you're spies. You've come out here to find, and, and in practical terms what he says, you've come out to spy out the land to see where the weaknesses in our land are so that you're able to take advantage and exploit it. <laughs> I, I just smiled when I read what the brothers respond, and they say, oh, <laughs> we're not spies, we're honest men. And I thought, right there you exposed your dishonesty and, and your corruption. You just lied. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. Now, we know that Joseph, from verse 23, is speaking to them through an interpreter. But here's the amazing thing. He understands every word they're saying to each other. As I was preparing this, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Janice and Galen's dad. When, when you guys first moved to Topeka, that my father-in-law went into the drugstore for a cup of coffee because that was the meeting place. And he's in there having coffee, and he hears the Amish guys talking in Pennsylvania Dutch about him. Now, Dad spoke low German, but he was able to understand. He knew they were talking about him. The look on their face when he went and talked to them, and I don't remember, did he talk low German to them? No. But he did answer their questions about who he was, and they realized he was understanding what they were saying. It was just one of those great moments. Can you picture this, that here are the brothers? Because Joseph's disguised himself. He looks Egyptian. He's speaking through a translator, but he's understanding absolutely every word they're saying. There's also something interesting that we see in verse 25 because they're speaking to one another and they're acknowledging their guilt to one another by saying, we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul and he pleaded with us. That's the first time we hear about Joseph's pleading while he is in the pit. We know from chapter 37, verse 25, they're so heartless, Joseph is in the pit pleading with them, and we know they sat down and they ate. Can you imagine being that heartless? That your brother, the hatred that they must have had towards him. It's amazing. Joseph's response is interesting in verse 16 to, to what they're saying about spies. He uses an interesting phrase, and he uses it twice, as by the life of Pharaoh, which is an interesting thing. So we're actually backing up here a little bit from, from where I had you, but I, I, saw an in, uh, I looked this up because it intrigued me that he would say, by the life of Pharaoh. Matthew Henry had an interesting thing. He said, some make this as an oath, others make it to be more, no more than a vehement assertion, like, as your souls liveth. And Joseph being in the court of Pharaoh, using that terminology, would have confirmed to his brothers 
that he was, in fact, Egyptian. Because they knew that what he was saying wasn't in the Hebrew language of their father, Abraham. There's a second test that comes. It's a test of their honesty and integrity. We know, as we've read through the, this chapter, that when their sacks of grain are loaded, Joseph gives direction to put everybody's money in their sack. It's interesting. It's interesting what happens. Well, let me back up a little bit. I want you to notice something in verse 25. Joseph hears his brothers understanding every word that they have spoken. And they don't, under, they don't know that he's understanding them. Look at what happens in verse 24. He hears the brothers say to one another, God's finally caught up with us for what we've done. And he turned away from them and he wept. At least five times in these chapters, we're going to see that Joseph wept. Chapter 42, verse 24, right here. We're going to see it again in chapter three, uh, 43, verse 30. In chapter 45, verse 2, verse 14, and verse 15. See, Moses didn't want the children of Israel to miss out on the heart of Joseph. And I don't think God wants us to miss out upon it either. Can you hear the heart of Joseph weeping? But now let's jump forward to the New Testament. Can you hear the heart of Jesus weeping? John eleven thirty five. <coughs> Excuse me. Shortest verse in the Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. He's standing outside of the grave of his friend Lazarus, knowing full well that he's going to raise him from the dead, but he is so moved by the grief of Mary and Martha and the others. What does Jesus do? He weeps. The crowd there didn't understand. They said, see how he loved his friend? They used the Greek word, how he phileoed him. Phileo, I'm not, means loved him like a brother. Okay, I'm getting my mix all talked up here. It's the Greek word from which we get Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. He loved him like a brother. But we know from earlier in chapter 11, it says that Jesus agape, he had a God kind of love towards Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and I would just say to us, God wants us to hear his heart. Can you picture Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus stands and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. You changed my slide. I had a really cool slide. But hear the heart of this. <laughs> oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who sent her. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Can you hear the heart of Jesus in the weeping of Joseph? Five times he weeps before his brothers. It's an amazing thing. It's a picture. Moses does not want the children of Israel to miss the heart of Jesus. 
We understand today that in many respects, in fact, Arthur W. Pink said that there are 101 comparisons of how Joseph models the life of Jesus. I don't think God wants us to miss his heart of compassion. Joseph loves his brothers in a way that they don't understand. And I would say to us today, God loves us in ways that we don't understand, nor do we understand the depth of his love for us. Well, if we move on into chapter 43, the boys have gone home. They're shocked because they find all their money in their sacks. They've been told you can't come back unless you bring your brother, the little brother. And now there's a second trip. It's interesting. The scripture doesn't tell us how long it's been between trips to buy food from Egypt. I want you to point out, I want you to notice an interesting thing. We don't have time to really develop this. But we're going to see in chapter 43, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 11, Jacob is referred to as Israel, not Jacob. He's referred to by his covenant name that God gave him. It's interesting to point out, look at verse 8 also in chapter 43, what they said. And Judah said to his father Israel, send the lad with me. It's interesting that he's called a lad, a boy. Now what's really fascinating is that many of the commentaries that I looked at in preparation for this really referred to him as a young boy. And one of them said it was because he wasn't married yet. And yet in chapter 46, verse 21, we're going to see listed the sons of Benjamin who went to Egypt with the family. Is that sinking in? I realized in preparation, I have always in my mind, maybe I got this in Sunday school, I don't know where, but I'm seeing Benjamin as this little boy. But he's not a little boy. He's a grown man with kids of his own. And yet, such a fascinating attachment between Jacob and Benjamin and the fact that Judah would refer to him as the lad. Fascinating. Finally, Israel says, all right, take him with you. Look at verse 11 in chapter 43. This is fascinating. So their father Israel, not Jacob, but Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best produce of the land in your bags and carry it down to the, to the man. It's interesting, and we don't have time to develop this, but he is, Joseph is generally referred to as the man, not anything else. But go down to the man uh, as a present, a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money. And take your brother also and arise and return to the man. 
I smiled when I, when I listened to Dr. Albert Moeller uh, teaching on this passage of scripture and he re referred to this and he, he talked about Jacob and he said he may be old but he's still Jacob. He's still a schemer. Take gifts with you. Precious gifts. Gifts of respect. If you go down to verse 29 when he sees Benjamin his, Joseph's heart is stirred. Verse 30 tells us that he hurries out and again he finds a place to weep. Notice what Joseph says to Benjamin. Because now for the first time we're going to see Joseph begin to speak graciously. He says, is this your youngest brother of whom you've spoken to me? And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. Can you just kind of picture the scene of what's happening? You've got the brothers here and he's looking at the brothers and he says, is this your little brother? And then he focuses in on Benjamin and says, speaks the blessing of God. Now, I haven't been able to verify this, but I believe what he speaks is the name, the Hebrew name of God to him. Can you imagine how this would have confused the brothers? Can you imagine the terror that began to rise up within their hearts? What is going on here? Which leads to the third test because he invites them to a banquet. And at this banquet, Genesis chapter 43 and verse 34, he gives Benjamin five times as much. Now, picture this. The custom of the Egyptians, would have, they would have never eaten with Hebrews. So they ate separately. But Joseph has his servants take food from his table and give it to his brothers. But when it comes to Benjamin, he gives five times as much to Benjamin. It's a test. How are the brothers going to react to this? Will the brothers resent Benjamin the same way that they resented Joseph? And then it shifts. As they prepare to go home in chapter 44, the first two verses, again, each man's money is placed in his sack. And in Benjamin's sack is placed a silver cup that is Joseph's. It's a test. We know how they go on their way to, to go home and Joseph sends his servant and says, go stop them. We know the rest of the story of what happened. Verse 17 in chapter 44 is probably one of the most powerful moments in this entire narrative. Judah again speaks up. Verse 16, look at this. What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of his servants. Isn't that interesting? What iniquity is he talking about? 
in his mind, he's still going back to the iniquity of what they did to Joseph as a 17-year-old and how they lied to their father. He says, Behold, we're your Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup is found. Wow. What's interesting in all of this, and there is so much in this, again, verse 16, God has found out our sin. And in verses 33 through 34, Judah, who failed so miserably in chapter 38, now begins to get it right. Joseph said, uh, Judah says, let me be the substitute. Let me stay. Let Benjamin go home. And what's going on is for the first time, Judah and his brothers are now thinking about their father, his feelings, how the loss of Benjamin would affect their father. There was none of this concern when they lied to Jacob about Joseph being killed. In fact, I have to just resist the temptation, but just if you're taking notes, look at chapter 37 and verse 32. When they lie to their father about jo uh, Joseph, they refer to him, is this your son's tunic? It's not our brother, but your son. But now as we fast forward into this passage in chapter 44, something has changed. And Joseph, uh, Judah intercedes. I thought, what a picture. Because we know that there is coming the lion of the tribe of Judah who will one day become the substitute for all of humanity and will take upon himself the sins of humanity and carry them to the cross for our salvation. What a fascinating thing we begin to see here in what Judah does interceding for Benjamin saying, let me be the substitute. Now, in the time that I have left, because there's so much more in this. Let's look at the first nine verses in chapter 45. Begins, Joseph can't control himself. His emotions are just beyond control. He has all of the Egyptians, all of his servants, leave the room. And he's alone with his brothers. Joseph's emotions are so overflowing that all of the servants in the house hear his weeping. It is so loud. Can you imagine what's going through the minds of the brothers? Can you imagine the terror that they felt in that moment when he says, I'm Joseph? Is my father still alive? He's not quite convinced that his brothers have been telling him the truth all the way through this. Is my, brother, is my father still alive? 
But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I looked up the word there, dismayed. It literally is terrified. Was this really their brother? The one they'd sold into slavery. What was he about to do to them? What kind of revenge would he exact? They are filled with fear. We're going to see that this fear, even though Joseph just does everything within him to uh, just assure them of his love and there's no no vengeance coming, we're going to see their fear carried over into chapter 50 when Jacob dies, the brothers come and lie again and they say, This is the Gingrich translation. Oh, by the way, before dad died, he said, don't take revenge on your brothers. That never happened. But you see, this fear of of vengeance is still within them. And we're going to see Joseph again weeping before his brothers in chapter 50. His heart is broken as if to say, You still don't understand my heart? Well, if we can go back into chapter 45, verse 4. Notice the gentleness here. Please come closer to me. I'm impressed by the gracious invitation. Please come closer. Charles Swindoll makes an interesting comment. He said that the word used there for closer is a term of intimacy. Come really, really close. And Swindoll uh, uh, Swindoll says that what Joseph may have actually done would have been to reveal the ultimate proof that he was who he said he was, a Hebrew, by showing them the sign of covenant relationship, which would have been his circumcision. We don't know. You know what I thought of? About 2,000 years later, we're going to hear an invitation again. These brothers standing before Joseph, consumed with guilt, consumed with fear over what their brother might do to them to exact revenge. And Joseph says, please come close to me. Can you hear the words in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's powerful assurances that take place here. Uh, as Joseph speaks to his brothers, verse 5, says, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me. God sent me here to preserve life. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over his household and ruler over the land. It was God. It was God. It was God. What you did was wrong. Joseph doesn't gloss over that, but he is focusing on the eternal purposes and plans of God. 
And I thought, oh, how easy it is for us to focus on the people who have hurt us or who have disappointed us. And we don't really recognize anything beyond that. I'm convinced that any issues of bitterness and resentment towards his brothers had been settled long before they showed up in Egypt. Kids, our memory verse. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. God's eternal purposes. Remember I shared with you earlier, I, I really believe God's eternal purposes in what he shows Joseph when he's 17 is that God's heart was to provide for the children of Israel to save Egypt and to feed the world. And my point as we begin to close, oh, by the way, I like closing. We'll probably close a half a dozen times. No, we won't. But I believe one of the, the empowerful lessons that we need to learn from the scripture, from the life of Joseph, is that we need to let the hurts of the past go. If we don't, it will destroy us and destroy the people who are around us. I'm continually challenged by what the writer to the Hebrews says, chapter 12, verse 15. See to it, make a point, that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up within you, causing you trouble, and thereby many are defiled. You see, if there are unresolved hurts in my life, inevitably that hurt will turn into a root of bitterness. And when that root of bitterness is established in my life, not only does it trouble me, but it defiles everything and everyone around me. So there is a sense in which, look, if you want to be bitter, go ahead. It's on you. The problem is, <laughs> did you really point at somebody? <laughs> Those of you watching this didn't see this, but our esteemed senior pastor at this point pointed at somebody. <laughs> Let's bring this back. If you want to be bitter, that's your problem. But the greater issue is, it not only troubles you, but it contaminates everyone around you. And they begin to pick up that hurt. I will never forget a family member that we pray for every day. Don't try to figure out who it is because they don't live around here. But I was talking to him one day because he had this thing where he would pick up the offense of other people. And I said, you got to stop. It's going to destroy you. You know what he said to me? I like it. And I look at his life today. And there is so much bitterness. There is so much animosity 
oh, listen, we've got to let it go, not just let it go. We've got to give it to Jesus. Because he's the one. He's the one who died to set us free. Worship team, come and join me, if you will. I would just say, if you're a Christian, or maybe you're here, you're, you're struggling with issues of faith, and you haven't met, made Jesus the Lord of your life. We see in Joseph a reminder that through the Lord Jesus Christ, God has made a way for us. There is freedom. But even more than like Joseph, who offers forgiveness and provision to his brothers, Jesus stands ready not only to forgive, but to restore and to heal those hurts and the guilt of the past and provide all that we need. Look at verse 9 in chapter 45. I like that first word, hurry, hurry and go tell my father, say to him, thus says your son Joseph, but I like the word hurry. There's a sense of urgency, don't delay. How often do we find ourselves when God begins to speak to our heart, delay? Well, not now. Maybe next week. Maybe next year. The writer of the Hebrews says that we are to respond to God today. Do you realize that when God speaks to our hearts, we will respond in one way or another? There is no such thing as later. When I hide behind the excuse that I'll do it later, I'm really saying no to God. And I'm going to live my life on my terms, not God's terms. There's some things in your bulletin. Uh, I won't go through them right now, but I just encourage you as families, read through those first uh, nine verses of chapter 45 and Talk about Joseph's willingness to extend forgiveness to his brothers and how that's a picture of what we have in Christ. There's some other things that, that uh, I would encourage you to do to make this practical and then to be able to pray together that God will do his redemptive work of grace. But right now, I would just invite you to just pray with me. Lord Jesus Thank you for what we see in the grace and the forgiveness of Joseph and the greater picture of what we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I don't know, we're not told the process by which Joseph worked through the offense of what his brothers did to him. We just know is that as they stand before him, his heart is broken in compassion for them. And when he reveals who he really is, he is so ready to forgive because he's seen the hand of God. 
Lord, today we stand conviction, convicted because so often we have let the hurts of the past control us, consume us, and become a source of bitterness in our lives. Lord, I pray that in your mercy and your grace, you will speak to us again. Those words come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, may we respond to you. Oh, Christian friend, if, if you've been carrying around hurts, let them go. Give them to Jesus right now. If you're not a Christian, today's the day of salvation. Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, but respond to him and come to him and receive his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation. Lord, would you just do that work in us? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm reminded that even as Joseph, and I didn't even talk about this, but as G, uh, Joseph prepares a banquet for his brothers, so God has prepared a banquet for us. And as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, We need to come with the knowledge that we don't have to come before God in fear like Joseph's brothers came before him in fear. We come in full assurance of faith because of the finished work of the cross and the faithfulness of God. If you're a Christian, I invite you to come to the table of the Lord. If you're not a Christian, I would invite you to just not come to the table of the Lord, but consider for yourself what God has done, his forgiveness that he has made available to you. And I would encourage you to open your heart to him and receive that for yourself. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.